even though we've, we've qualified for the next round of the Olympics, you know, the long-term picture is to grow their coaching culture and their playing culture to improve the women's game overall. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becky, well placed. The CONCACAF Women's Soccer Olympic Qualifying Tournament kicks off today. In lay people's terms, that means eight teams from North America, Central America, and the Caribbean are duking it out for the next week and a half to decide which two teams from the region will be playing in Tokyo this summer. These eight teams include a few big dogs, namely the USA, aka the best team in the world, Canada, ranked eighth, And then we've got, in order of FIFA ranking, Mexico, Costa Rica, Jamaica, Panama, Haiti, and finally, coming in at 127th in the world, St. Kitts and Nevis. Um, I didn't know where St. Kitts and Nevis was, and I'm going to take a shot in the dark here and say that you maybe don't know where it is, too. It's an island in the Caribbean Sea in between Puerto Rico and Antigua and Barbuda. It has a population of 52,441. St. Kitts and Nevis is far and away the underdog in this tournament that's starting. To even get here, they had to claw their way past a couple of favored teams. The 127th ranked team in the world topped a Caribbean qualifying group which featured 72nd ranked Trinidad and Tobago, and 102nd ranked Dominican Republic. They surprised pretty much everyone. And now, here they are on the road to Tokyo, their first ever Olympic qualifying tournament. To get here, one would think they must have had a pretty decent coach. Her name is Janae Baklowski. And when she's not helping to make history with St. Kitts and Nevis, The American is a technical director and coaching educator with South Texas Youth Soccer, where she oversees 90,000-plus coaches. The journey to this role, coaching an under-resourced, tiny island women's soccer team with a lot of fight and potential, has been a winding and, in many ways, random one for Baklowski. The route started in the twilight of her own playing days. How was leaving behind soccer as a player for you? Was that, oh, it were sucked. You ready? Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. I can you tell I never left it behind. That's mm-hmm. why I had to find another way to be connected without playing. <laughs> yeah. Along with basketball and tennis, she played Division Two soccer at Queens University in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then some. I did not play my senior year of soccer. I tore my um, I tore I tore my ankle really badly and didn't quite see eye to eye with the coaching staff and decided that I would play basketball and tennis instead. So I didn't. But then I did go on and I played with the first um, in the first season of the women's professional league for the um, I signed a contract. I should say this. I signed a contract to play with the Atlanta Beat oh, the no first way. year. Cool. Yeah. And then I never played. I tore both my Achilles in preseason. She rehabbed with the Atlanta Beat, got to train with some of the best players in the world. Ultimately, though, a pro career was not in the cards. 
So I had I had um, I had surgery, and the and the podiatrist was like, he was like, you know, I don't think you're gonna be able to run again. And I was like, I looked at him, and I was like, this is why we're doing this. We are doing this so I can run. But then it became clear he was like, well, you probably can't go in for a tackle because if I go in for a tackle, the whole bits and pieces and screws and metal stuff could like blow. You know what I mean? So I was like, okay. She hung up her cleats, and took up running. That repaired ankle joint of hers has withstood the impact of one marathon and 17 half marathons since then, just by the way. It was during this time with the Atlanta Beat, with this reality settling in that she wasn't going to be able to play anymore, that an opportunity came about to coach. In that moment, it was by no means a life-changing, light-bulb-going-off opportunity. So at that point, a friend had approached me, and they had said to me, this is when I was when I was sitting on the bench for the beat, and she said to me, we don't have any female coaches in our club. Could you come out and train my daughter's U11 team? And I was like, in my mind, I was like, sure, I can go once. <laughs> so I drove myself out to the suburbs, which was really far in Atlanta traffic. And I got there and they were so kind and they needed help. And so then it became, okay, I'll come back next Tuesday to all of a sudden, oh, hey, this is your team. And can we give you two or three more right. teams? Yeah. So it, I, I don't know if you talk to other people, if they express that club soccer sucks you in. Because it <laughs> sucks you that. in. I've heard that. It sucks you in. So I got sucked in um, and it was great. I just kind of grew through the ranks and then sought my graduate degree work at the same time and then finally got my foot in the door collegially. So I really never left right. soccer. Coaching was never something she contemplated as a career. Yeah, I was going to law school. Yeah, that was the plan. And um, then my mother was very disappointed when I decided to coach soccer. (laughs) (laughs) I think, actually, I think now that she's seen me do interviews for the St. Kitts position, which is so part-time and not my actual real job, now I think she's, like, actually come around. Like, I'm like, why did it take, I was a college coach for how long? And, like, I was, (laughs) I think this is, like, the first time where she's like, oh, okay, soccer. Okay, cool. Like, (laughs) Mom's judgment aside. The St. Kitts and Nevis job is really cool and really important. And again, it wasn't an opportunity her eyes were ever specifically directed at. It wasn't something that I was seeking out actively. It was an opportunity that um, kind of, they kind of came to me. And the, the thing that is really impressive about the St. Kitts and Nevis Federation is that they realized that they needed to put more money and more focus on the girls and women's game, right? Mm -hmm. So they wanted to match the quality of coaching licenses and experience that they had on the men's side to the women's side, but they don't have anybody there that has the background of the experience, right? So so my role is not a permanent role. It's not a full-time role. My Even though we've qualified for the next round of the Olympics, you know, the long-term picture is to grow their coaching culture and their playing culture to improve the women's game overall right so you know so you know i think we'll do we'll do fine we'll do well in the qualifications it'll be very difficult since we got group b which is essentially the group of death for us but um but we'll do really well with the mindset that this experience will help us build towards a world cup qualification and it will help improve visibility on the island and so that's sort of the same thing you know like um i learned a couple weeks ago that the 
women's senior team has never played a home game in St. Kitts in the history of their program. And so, yeah, isn't it crazy? Like, so people, we we were, we were planning our camp out for Olympic qualifications and we were planning on coming to the United States to do that because about half the players are from the Island and half the players are from Canada or the United States or whatever, you know? So, so I found this out and it was like, okay, we have to play this friendly game, not here. We have to play it there because that's the whole point is to get people excited about the women's game there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so we got to sell tickets and we're, that's one of the other things I'm working on this week is to figure out what date and who we're bringing in and all this stuff, you know, but it's the same thing. It's the same idea of like, it's just expanding the visibility and quality within the girls and the women's game. That's the whole idea probably going to help in thinking about some of the why behind taking this position to get a sense of Buklowski's background and experience off the field. Things that have really come to shape her core values. So I got my master's from Georgia State in women's studies, but I actually studied women in sport in Title IX. And my master's thesis is titled Booters with Hooters, an analysis of the marketing trends of the Women's Professional Soccer League. (laughs) Because Julie Foudy, in one of her interviews, was offended that they called the Women's National Team Booters with Hooters. And so I didn't even know that was a thing. That's yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So this was after the 99 World Cup. So one of the things that, in my opinion, is being a part of that league to a certain degree and then also being an observer of the first professional league was their very sporadic marketing plan and being in Atlanta we had a very hard time getting people in the seats and it was really clear that they shifted from this sort of family-friendly environment with family-friendly marketing to like trying to amp up the sexy late in the in the program <laughs> and the like beer garden and attracting more single male oh, income yeah. and things like this you know what I mean? and it didn't work ultimately it was like much too late you know so but it was uh that's what i wrote about so it is it's quite fascinating you also wrote, you also wrote about sports parents is that true yeah i did so then i went to the university of georgia to pursue my phd and um i didn't complete my research because i took a full-time job so technically i am abd from the University of Georgia, and my research is on parents, and I am now finishing my doctorate at the University of North Carolina Greensboro, because, yeah, you know, they tell you not to take a full-time job when you're in a PhD program, and there is a reason for that, so (laughs) (laughs) so don't do it. You know, I've got to have something to show for all the student loan debt. So, (laughs) (laughs) and then you're officially going to be a doctor coach, right? Or something. That's right. So technically, doctor, 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 half doctor. Yes, (laughs) but I will not uh, go by that. (laughs) Expanding and improving participation and viewership of women's sports, empowering girls and women through sport. Her path might be circuitous and unplanned. But those ideas have always held firm and helped her make decisions about what she wants to put her time and energy into, about what gives her purpose. I noticed that you're, like, you're involved with, beyond coaching-wise, like just girls and women's yeah. soccer and these yeah. different sort of capacities. So Yeah, it's like, you know, do you, do you know anybody that has a women's studies degree? 
but like have you ever ha- taken a women's yeah. studies class i mean before i went i'm yes i've taken one i think but not she was a swathmore yeah, exactly. sure I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well women's studies people in general are really concerned with like critical theory and they're concerned with like activism right and so making sports like the culture of sports more conducive to women and girls is my activism. And I had lots of friends in my graduate school programs that were interested in other kinds of things, you know, like whatever that was for their activism, but this is mine, you know? And so I, I, I always find myself aligned with initiatives that meet that goal. And that's where I want to go. And that, that I think, even though, you know, career things could shift or, you know, whatever that looks like, like that is the one through thing that wouldn't, opportunities come up to help the girls game and the women's game like i'm i'm on board like whatever yeah, is needed you know what i mean it's kind of like a, having a compass like a guiding principle yeah that's ways, it yeah. so it's i know where that is and i get a little distracted over here with this other thing and then i come back yeah. <laughs> you know? so you know because it's it is it is difficult you know so like i'm a coach educator and when we go when i go to courses there's very few female coaches very very few mm-hmm. and in fact i was just we have a course coming up here in January in Houston and there's one out of 30 coaches currently registered. And that is like typical. It's usually me and sometimes only, only one. So, um, it's, it's definitely something that's important to me because I really think that if you can see her, you, you think about being her. And I was really fortunate to have had really quality female coaches in my youth playing days. And I never would have thought that I could do this if I didn't have those kind of people in my life, you know? The coaching experience, the mindset, it's the kind of person you want at the helm of this St. Kitts and Nevis program. With growing success, there's a lot to be excited about with this team. You know what is really exciting is when we got down, so we went to to the first round of qualifications in Trinidad, and we did really well, right? You know, so we were able to advance, and since that time, more people have been reaching out to the players themselves about post, I guess, per, post tournament playing opportunities, whether it's the younger ones to have opportunities to look have college coaches look at them, or I've had, a, we've had a few players who are not on professional contract who are out of college, who have had um, agents and professional teams from across the world contact them. And then like, I just think that's so exciting because those opportunities wouldn't have existed if we wouldn't have done well and continue to do well. And so who knows what the next opportunity is going to be for the player that's on the under twenties or under seventeens, you know, and that to me is the reason why I wanted to do this. You know what I mean? It's to help them. So that that's really exciting to me. It's so cool. Oh, and not to mention, she's also the kind of person you want steering the ship because she's competitive. Uh, What do you enjoy most about coaching? Have to pick what's one thing. Oh God, I, that's going to make me sound so petty when I say winning, but I do like winning. I do. Um, Spoken like a true former athlete, I guess. I do, but I also have a healthy understanding of that it's not the most important thing, but I do firmly believe that it is, it is the most important thing to strive for and that it's the process that we help teach players on how to do it and how to do it well and how to do it correctly as a human being that I enjoy. You know, but it certainly feels really good. You know what I mean? You know, like I, I want to see the players that I work with love the game like I do, and I want them to improve. I don't want to. It's not just about the fun part, because if we we can have lots of fun and never win and never get better, but if it's a combination, 
you know and that's probably my my favorite part like sometimes things don't go your way but you get back together and you figure out how we put things together and we train on it we work on it to be better the next time you know yeah yeah that's a great feeling all right so you're the coach that like the ref is like you're towing the line no. like please get back in the box <laughs> no no i'm i'm the person that um g- gets to know the ref before the game and then gets things gets gets in the good side uh, and then that's... and then pulls out the card only when needed because if you know like we all know when you yell at refs too much they just shut you off right. so you're, <laughs> so... a, you're a seasoned vet it sounds like yep yep <laughs> they can't do that you can't do that but i will say i mean like it you know it depends so when you talk about coaching it's about the different level, you know, like I've spent a lot of time coaching eight, nine-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and I would never say it's about winning for them. Right. For them, it's about seeing like tactical awareness moments click on, you know, mm-hmm. like, and they might not be able to execute it all the way, but you know that in a few years, they're going to be able to execute it and they're going to have success. Like those are the exciting things. And so it does depend on the level, but coming off of working with St. Kitts and working as a college coach, of course, it's about about having results like it's it's fun that ankle joint of hers may prevent her from being involved in the game in the ways we might expect someone as passionate about soccer to be i i wish that i had the physical abilities to play adult women's league because i yeah, saw you talked about that on previous podcasts right. you know I'm, a, I'm always jealous of those <laughs> i have lots of friends who are in the over 50 league and the over 40 league i even have a friend in the over 70 league no. and i'll tell you what they have a great time <laughs> the the over 70 league i didn't even know that existed before this interview uh if your body allows you to play like that at that age, more power to you. That's goals. Looking back at the soccer experiences Baklowski's had and how she's oriented herself towards women's empowerment in and out of the classroom, on and off the field, I'd say she's done a pretty amazing job at staying deeply connected, even if she hasn't put on shin guards since the Atlanta beat days. Does soccer end? just that version of soccer ended like you know but like really like i want people to realize that there's versions of soccer that they can be connected to throughout their life the olympic qualifying journey for saint kitts and nevis starts tomorrow against canada that game will be played at 5 30 p.m eastern time on fs2 they will play again on saturday when they face mexico at 3 30 eastern time also on fs2 They'll wrap up group play next Tuesday, February 4th, against Jamaica, also on FS2. Thank you to Janae Baklowski for coming on to the podcast, and thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.